There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk The Go Radio Business Show with Sir Tom Hunter. When all around you are losing their head, the leaders come to the front. And Lord Willie Hockey. I think you might have to see the biggest reversal and biggest embarrassment you've ever seen here for a Chancellor. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. Well, morning, Willie. How are you? Good morning, Tom. I'm fine. Yourself? I'm brilliant. All right, Willie, let's get right into it. Are you going to congratulate our Prime Minister and our Chancellor, because one word from you, Prime Ministers do a U-turn, Chancellors quake in their boots, and it's the biggest political humbling U-turn in history. Are you going to congratulate them, Willie? Well, obviously, people heard it here first, Tom. (laughs) And we did say last week that it would be the biggest U-turn ever. Um, But I've got to be honest, Tom, I I would add to that. I was astonished to read on Friday that the Bank of England admitted that if they did not intervene by buying the 50 billion in bonds and guilds last week, that the UK financial market would have crashed. Surely the Chancellor must consider his position. <laughs> well, I mean, I I didn't think they were going to U-turn, and you did, and you were right, and I was wrong, um, and because. Liz Truss was on the Sunday shows last Sunday saying, no, 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 by the Monday, yes, yes, yes. I mean, talk about political humbling in the space of 24 hours. It's unbelievable. But the issue here, Willie, for me is the 45 pence cut was the smallest part of this tax-cutting budget what yeah, was a smallest revenue earner, yes. Yeah, what was a 45 billion tax cut budget is now only a 43 billion yes. tax cut because the good things, which I think you and I agree about, the NI cut and the energy support for businesses and consumers, these, these take up an awful lot of money. So it was really political and there's no way that Liz Trust is going to fight the next general election. What do you think, Willie? I don't think so. I think when you've seen the mood at the Tory conference this week, um, you know, apart from the front row, who are all paid for being in the cabinet, you could see the mood behind um, was was one of astonishment. And I think, you know, the Chancellor's opening remarks, you know, oh, what a day, I don't think went down too well either. But you're right. I mean, to see the Prime Minister, what, four weeks or whatever into office, throwing the Chancellor right under a bus the day before was was frightening, actually. And I'm, I'm actually surprised. Now, behind the scenes, all of the big beasts, you know, Govan Co, Grant Sharps, all of these guys will be now on manoeuvres. And I, th- I, I couldn't agree with you more. I don't think that Liz Truss will go into the next election as a leader of the Tory party. And it, it, it just shows you, Willie, that sometimes when you think you've lost something... 
it's maybe the best thing. And I, I saw a nice picture of Rishi Sunak smiling away. He must be going, thank goodness I didn't become Prime Minister right now. <laughs> Tommy nearly gave my heart attack there. I thought you were talking about Boris. <laughs> 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 Certainly not missed. Uh, oh, but no, no 100% that what, what we've had happening here and all the commentators are, are actually saying that now is that we were getting something here that appeased, you know, the Tory voters and the Tory members. So a uh, 100,000 people actually gave us what we've got in Liz Trust and in, in Quasi. And I, I think that now they're absolutely regretting that and it's going to backfire. And, and, and pe let people be under no doubt, right? The only way we got a U-turn on the 45p rate was because about 60 to 70 Tory MPs thought they were in danger of losing their seats. That's the only reason we got that U-turn. Yeah, it was completely political, wasn't it? But yes. it, it does it does show you your point, Willie, about guilt. I mean, most people and most business people listening this morning, and I'm one of them, we don't really understand what goes on behind the scenes, guilt buying and the Bank of England and, and the pensions and the whole precarious situation that we found ourselves in. And it, it, it just seemed to me, you know, I thought Britain was a solid financial institution, but it really did show to me last week, um, sometimes Britain's not quite as a strong powerhouse as we all think it is. I mean, it was quite frightening when I began to read. I didn't fully understand all the various points, especially in the pension funds. But, Willie, it just seems things like this happen and your word, Armageddon, which I don't like, but we were a wee bit closer to it. Yeah, well, certainly the banker admitting if he didn't step in, we would have been there. But, but Tom, you'll understand this better than me. And I think probably to get the message across to the listeners, especially people in businesses, the thing that we were worried about to kind of sum it up was about liquidity. And we've been, the, the system for the last two decades has been awash with money. So it was easy for people to go and borrow we did a situation leading up to last week where we would have went from, you know, an oversupply of cash in the markets for people to thrive and grow to be none, none whatsoever. You know, we had mortgages getting stopped, offer letters not being sent out, you know, banks, you know, come back and see us in January. So for us, in, in, in business terms, that that was a huge worry. And I, and I don't think, to be fair, the signs are at the moment, Tom, that it's much better. Yeah, well, one of my... One of my rules, Willie, is people can't come and moan to me unless they've got some solutions. So I've I've been trying to rack my brains here about how do you get growth in the economy? Because Liz Truss keeps going growth, growth, growth. I don't think she hit the right levers for growth in her budget. So here's a couple of suggestions this morning on the Go Radio Business Show. They obviously listen to you. They don't listen to me, but I'll give it a go anyway, Willie. So I've got three points. To get growth in our economy, we need to back entrepreneurs. They're the ones who create the jobs. They're the ones who take all this uncertainty and find the opportunities. And believe you me, Willie, there are opportunities out there. So in Scotland... I think we're doing no a bad job at it. We've got Scottish Edge. And if I can just thank, you'll fall off your seat here, if I can just thank the Scottish Government this morning, Scottish Edge got its grant funding in and it would have been very easy in these difficult times for it to be, no, there's no money. But 
the Scottish Government saw the benefit of backing entrepreneurs, so thank you to them for that. We're also cracking on with Scale Up 2.0, backing these entrepreneurs. And my second point would be about upgrading skills. And your apprenticeships come in here. We've not been very good. We've got a changing economy. We've got changing skills we need. And we need to make sure our workforce is up for it. And your idea of apprenticeships and make them tax deductible, I think, is genius. So I hope they're listening this morning. My last point for growth would be infrastructure. Over the past couple of weeks, I've been travelling on trains, believe it or not. But I'll not be travelling in trains again soon. What a shambles the British railways are. We get chucked off the train at Preston on the way down and then on the way back up. Oh, my God, it was unbelievable. So somebody needs to take control of this infrastructure spending, spend it wisely and get the country moving again. Have you got any thoughts, Wally? Yeah, well, I think it's interesting, Tom, when you're giving the government praise for its investment in Scottish Edge and try to drive enterprise, and I think that's to be commended. But on Friday, you know, we read that Patrick Harvey is over the moon, you know, boasting about the first bill that he's had to put through Parliament on the rent freeze. If anything was set up to stop growth, right, it'll be that bill. Patrick Harvey will go down in history, right, is the man who stopped investment and added to the calamitous lack of housing that we have in Scotland, 100%. And this isn't someone, you know, don't take my word for it, right? Here's a guy who wants to be a landlord and, you know, make loads of money. The housing associations are out today calling for it to be scrapped. So, you know, one step forward, two back. You know, and, 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 you know, and also, you know, I've, I've mentioned in the past, Patrick Harvey stands up in the parliament and waxes lyrically about heat pumps. He's, you know, and he's saying that there's going to be statistics. It sounds as if he's reading from a brochure, a sales brochure from a heat pump company. So what I'm doing right now is I'm calling Patrick Harvey out and asking him, come on the show and we'll debate about rent freezes and we'll debate about heat pumps because certainly none of these things are good for Scotland. Brilliant, Willie. Let's get Patrick on the show. Patrick, if you're listening, get your backside into the show and let's have a debate. Now, what about Tom, housing? Tom, sorry, see what, can I just come in about your bit about the trains, right? Yes. Let me tell you my experience this week, right, about travel. Uh-huh. I booked two seats with British Airways to go down to London and back next week. <clears throat> okay. And uh, something came up and I had to cancel the tickets, okay? So I get put through to a call centre in India and a young gentleman there who was very, very, very helpful explained to me, yes, I, I can cancel the seats and I can get a refund, okay? Right. Both, both of the seats were costing me £1,400, okay? £700 each. Wow. Return to London, Okay. After about 10 minutes of the gentleman explaining to me how it all works, he then, I asked him at the end, how much do I have to pay for the cancellation? Right? And in a roundabout way, he explained to me that it was £98. Okay? Right. Which I thought was very reasonable until he explained, no, that's how much I'm getting back. <laughs> 
ninety percent of the cost of the tickets I lost. I was getting ninety-eight pound back, so I was getting two hundred pound back for fourteen hundred pound. So I'm delighted now that I don't travel in BA much <laughs> now, and I won't be again. And shocking. And, and, and Willie, can I just say for your time management, what is Liz doing? What's your PA doing? Why are you speaking <laughs> to British Airways call well, centres? I'm going to tell you. Right. <laughs> so I was using my PA, Liz, to do this, <laughs> and the guy would not take a call from anyone except the person on the ticket. Oh, my God, really? So Liz was delighted to hand the phone to me. <laughs> he said, no, you need to deal with this one. So, honestly, I couldn't believe it. I actually said to the guy then, no, you're making a mistake. Right? That'll be the deduction. He said, no, no, that's, no, no, that's you're much you're getting back. Yeah, I'll oh, a mistake. So, in every right. so, Tom, on that, I want to go back to the housing thing. Right. So, we're seeing this week, right, about mortgage rates at a 12-year high. Yep. And slumping properties. Yeah, right, uh, no, the, the the value of properties. So we've been talking about it for a few weeks now, and it's yes. coming. It's coming. The only thing that hasn't happened yet has been a slump in in the markets. Right? How how do you think the markets are being so buoyant and they're and they're they're, they're holding up? What do you mean the financial markets? Yes. Willie? yes so you know the the FTSE. Yeah. Well, goodness, I think they have fallen, Willie, and um, certainly. I hear a lot of negative talk about the UK being a place to invest, which, you know, never mind Scotland here, the UK, um, there was a headline in the Financial Times this week saying the UK is becoming uninvestable, which is just, I mean, I just can't believe these headlines are, are coming. But yeah, stock markets in America and in Britain have fallen. There hasn't been the crash is, is a crash coming? I mean, goodness, I'm the optimist of, of the pair of us, so I certainly hope not. If we can go back to housing, so there's about 9.5 million mortgage holders in the UK, and the one thing that drives demand for housing is the availability and the cost of mortgages. So this is going through the roof at the present time. So that is going to bring down demand. There's no doubt about this. And when I looked at a history of the UK housing market, it does come in cycles, Willie. Um, but the fundamental thing about the UK housing market is we've got a chronic shortage of houses to buy and houses to rent. Maybe Patrick Harvey will sort that in Scotland. But anyway, mm. there is a chronic shortage put at about 200,000 a year if we could have affordable housing and affordable mortgages, we could build another 200,000 homes a year and they would be bought. Therefore, this is going to be a lull in the market. I don't know for how long. I, my crystal ball's not that good. But let's just say a year to 18 months, things will calm down. But then the fundamentals will still be there we will still have a shortage of homes to rent and a shortage of homes to buy. So, I well, don't... Tom, let me give you my experience this week. And yeah. I'm sad to say I'll give you an exclusive here. Okay. Right. So you know that I've had a plan and I've been trying to address the affordable housing situation in Scotland. Yes, and it's and brilliant, Willie. It's yeah, absolutely brilliant. And I planned over the next nine years to build 11,000 houses and I was trying to build 
houses that people could be proud of. I was trying to build communities. I wanted to build 1,200 square foot homes that people could rent for about £695 a month. And I wanted to cap the, the, the you know how much we could raise each year to 2%. And that £695 included all your maintenance bills. So wow. it was a real good deal. And we would help you keep your energy down. Yep. Two, and, and, and Tom, for the first time in my life, I was contemplating taking on debt into a business so I could build them at a rate, right? Right, okay. Two things have happened this week. We got a note last Friday. We've had, we've had you know, rises in material costs, but last Friday we got a letter from the people we buy our brick from, one of the biggest in the UK, telling us that all brick are up by 28%. Wow. Right? If I add that to Patrick Harvey's rent rise bill this week now, and there's no incentive now to do this, I'm going to put things on hold. Oh, dear. Right. Well, that's a blow, will it? Yep. There's just no incentive whatsoever to try and make a difference. But but this has got to be temporary, Willie. I know you. Mm -hmm. you, you will look at this and you'll find a way to run about. And, you know, if brick prices go up 28%, then the demand for them will fall and then people will need to reduce their prices to get the market going again. That's how it works. So, so that was a small part of making my decision. The big part was Patrick Harvey's rent freeze. Oh, dear. Well, when the government wanted to step into the housing market, which is an absolutely in crisis, without any plan about how that you address it, then that, for me, is, is a worry. When the government step in to a situation when we've got a crisis, that crisis can only get worse. Well, what I would say, Willie, is Scotland needs you to build these houses... Therefore, any help I can give, work this out because we need you to be building these houses because what you were doing was innovative. It was going to create jobs. It was going to provide um, housing at an amazing, amazing rental. So that's a bit of a blow this morning, Willie, I must admit. Well, I'd like Patrick Harvey and his team to come and have a chat with us to see if this is their plan which for me is all negative, then what, what is our plan for to, to address the lack of housing? Right. So let me let me lighten the mood <laughs> a wee bit. Please. Tesla, our old pal Elon Musk, talk about U-turns. So he wanted to buy Twitter and then he didn't want to buy Twitter and now he does want to buy Twitter. Wow, what a story. So, and I think it's because, Willie, he didn't want to be deposed in court. He didn't want... There was quite a few of his texts come out and he was texting Larry Ellison, the Oracle billionaire, and Larry Ellison over text was saying, yeah, I'll, I'll send you a couple of bill. I mean, my goodness, is this how the way business gets done? It's unbelievable. But one thing that I read, Willie, that made me smile, there's an entrepreneur, an old grizzly entrepreneur called Carol Icahn. And um, well... I'm sure you know him, and he's got a brilliant book. For any of the listeners this morning, read his book. It's brilliant. So what did Carol Icahn do? He got all the court documents, and he read them. And he sat down, and he read them. Hundreds, thousands of pages. And he came to the conclusion that Elon Musk couldn't get out of this deal. Remember, Elon had agreed to pay $54.2 a share. So Carol Icahn starts buying the shares at 25, 26. He made a billion dollars, Willie. <laughs> yeah. 
And, and Tom, the sad thing about this is, and we've always said that Elon is a flawed genius. <laughs> Here is a deal that he is going to have to do because of his big mouth, right, or his fat fingers, <laughs> right? Uh, and he doesn't want to do that deal, right? He's in a lose-lose situation now, and somebody as clever, right, as Icon, seen it and made money out of it. So, right? well, it's going to have to follow through. He's going to dip into his pocket for thirty billion dollars. Thirty-eight billion. Thirty-eight. Oh my God. Tom, so, let me tell you a wee sad story, right? Oh, that, well, you're supposed to cheer no, me up. No, 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 no. Hopefully, we can help on this, right? I heard on the news on Go Radio on Friday about a gentleman who's got a wee shop in Braidwood Road up in Giffnock. And because of major disruption by Scottish water digging up the street outside, his footfall is down by two-thirds. And him and his wife and two other workers are going to lose their job because he has to close up. Oh, dear. Surely this cannot be right. Surely Scottish Water must be able to compensate this man to keep this shop open and keep these four people in employment. So we're calling out to Scottish Water today, have a heart, do the right thing, help your local community and save this wee shop. Get a campaign going. Well, you're on a crusade this morning. You're calling out everybody. I'm, 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 I'm glad you're not calling out me. Coming next, Hunter and Hockey chat to Ian Ritchie, CBE, business founder and investor specialising in the information technology sector. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions, helping you with a wide range of business needs. Go Radio. There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitisation, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. This week's special guest is Ian Ritchie, CBE, business founder and investor. Ian is the non-executive chairman of Tern PLC, Computer Application Services, and Crotos. He's also board director of Shotscope Limited. Ian, good morning and welcome to the show. Hi, nice to see you. Absolute pleasure to have you on. I'm dying to hear your stories. I've obviously <laughs> known you for many, many years, but I've yeah. never got into the, the stories, especially about Fangio, which I know a wee bit about. Right, but um, okay, yeah. Ian, I know, I know you know Tom as well. Yeah, yeah. Morning, Ian. It's Hi. great to hear from you again. Um, long time no see, but um, I think you're, you're one of the main reasons the tech sector in Scotland flourishes today. So it's brilliant to have you on board, Ian. Yeah, we were very early in on the tech startup scene in the early 80s when it was kind of all new. <laughs> tell tell all us a wee new. bit about how you get involved, Dean, and some of the first businesses you got involved with. Uh, well, my first business was, um, I'd, I'd worked, I'd, I'd, I did computer science at university, and um, I'd worked at ICL, the computer company, for 10 years. And then, um, towards the end of that time, I was manager of a computer called The Perk. And The Perk was an advanced graphics computer. It was an individual computer, a personal, effectively a personal computer, but it wasn't personal computer pricing. It was like 10 grand in the 80s, you know, 1980s. But it, it was a very powerful individual computer, perfect for researchers. And ICL decided to 
partnered with the Pittsburgh company that invented this and develop it for a wider market. And I was put in charge of this. So I started flying over to Pittsburgh and um, seeing and working with those guys in Pittsburgh. And I was opened up, my eyes were opened up to the whole technology startup scene in America. I mean, Pittsburgh is not the, you know, wasn't, wasn't the center of that stuff. Yeah. But what they were doing was really exciting. And I looked around and I'm thinking, this is a company that didn't exist five years ago and it exists now. How did this happen? And of course, it's just risk capital and all these sort of things. So that got me quite excited. And, and then um, after that, ICL did me a great favor because ICL decided to close their plant at Dalkeith where I was based. And there was 100 people there, all really smart guys. So I got three of them, four of them together, and we started, oh. Um, and it was just at the right time to exploit this graphics computer because the Apple Macintosh was launched in 84. So that was the, the Apple Macintosh was the first computer that was like the computers we all have today with a mouse and Windows and graphics and all that sort of thing. Before that, the IBM PC and these computers had just been text. There was no graphics on them and things. So the Apple Mac was the first computer that showed the world the way computing was going to go. And we had all the skills from our work at, um, with the PERC. And uh, so that gave us an ideal opportunity to start a company that really, you know, did something on that kind of new, exciting platform. And and obviously you, you worked with the people there at ICL. You knew the good guys. So that was a start. You had the staff. Absolutely. And it was just a case then of finding the, the, yeah. the funding. Yeah. And and how did that grow? What size of business did that grow into? Um, well, we, we, we doubled each year. Um, so we started our first year, I think we got, we did 64K. <laughs> Second year was 128. Third year was 250. <laughs> Uh, fourth year was five hundred. You know, it was it was doubling every year, so we were doing okay. Um, it was we were pioneers, you know, so we were early in, and so it wasn't a case of you know a massive exponential uh, rise, um, but we were pioneering what people call hypertext, and hypertext is the World Wide Web. So when you go on a computer these days and you click on buttons and you move from document to document and things like that, all of that's hypertext. And we were the first company to do that. So we launched the product in 1986 that really um, did that for the first time. And people started getting really interested in doing that type of that type of publishing. We were the only ones really to do that at that point. Yeah. And it's, it's funny you mentioned the World Wide Web. Mm. I believe that you had an opportunity to get involved with Tim Berners-Lee. Well, yeah. In, in November 1990, I went to a trade show in, in Paris, in Versailles, um, and uh, we were demonstrating our, our stuff. We were actually demonstrating a service manual for a car, um, and we had a couple of keynote speakers and things like that. Anyway, this guy came up to me and he said, are you Ian Ritchie? I said, yeah. He said, right, we've got to talk. Let's go and get a beer. So we went to get a beer. And he told me about his World Wide Web. And um, Tim had been working on uh, interactive documents. He was at CERN, and CERN is the physics research center, right? So they have to do a lot of communicating research work with each other and a lot of complicated references to uh, work done in other places like uh, Livermore Lab in, in, in California and places around the world. And so they had to connect up with documents published anywhere. Um, and so his, he had this idea that um, a system that connected all these documents together and allowed you to very quickly go from document to document, that was a good idea. So he had developed, um, on the back of that, he developed this technology, um, which he then called the World Wide Web. 
I must admit, I thought that was a fairly pretentious name because <laughs> when I met him in November 1990, the World Wide Web was only on his computer in his office, <laughs> yeah. right? I hadn't gone any further than that, yeah. right? But he was, it was weird. He was totally convinced that his web was going to take over the world one day. That was extraordinary. Um, and I, I remember at the time thinking, gosh, he's really got the bug, hasn't he? Anyway, um, he... He wanted us to do a browser for it because his web didn't have any of that graphic stuff or layout or anything like that. And um, I and we could easily have done that. We really could have. But um, at that time, his his environment was the internet. Now, today, we all think of the internet as something we've all got. But in those days, the internet wasn't available to anybody outside the research community. So the internet was a completely non-commercial environment. Oh. It was only supported universities and defence contractors, people like that. Yeah. So Sir Tim Berners-Lee is, is famous for inventing the World Wide Web uh -huh. and giving it to the world free. That's that's a key point. Yes. That really is a key point. And CERN did agree to release it yeah. um, royalty-free. Um, and uh, and that, that really is largely why it became popular. Uh, so for the listeners, was there, a, was there a magic sauce? Was there an IP there? Or, you know, whether you could have monetized that greatly or was it just a case mm. of MD could have copied it? I don't think we could. Um, at that point, we certainly couldn't have made a business out of... Um, uh, he wanted us to write the browser. He, he, put, he writes in his book, he says, they've already done all the difficult stuff. <laughs> and he wanted us to write a browser for the web. Um, we wouldn't have made any money out of that at that time. Yeah. The, the web didn't take off till 95. This was 1990. So we would have had five years um, of no ability to sell anything on that platform. And that wouldn't have worked. So that wasn't a mistake. I mean, you know, I, I make a joke of it and say I turned down the web and it yes. was, you know, whatever. But it was, that wasn't a mistake. The mistake I probably made um, in 1995, 94, ni well, actually 93, 94, when I knew that World Wide Web was going to be big. I should have started another company and <laughs> <laughs> really exploited that, yeah, you know. Yeah. But I, I'd built my business. Um, my wife had a very high-profile career. I'd been away a lot. Um, when I when we sold out to Panasonic, I thought I should put some time in with the kids now and do the school run and you know all yeah. that sort of thing. And I turned myself over to being more of a business angel and a mentor for other startup companies. Yeah. So, Ian, can I just um, talk to you about that? Because mm. going from running your own business to backing others is something I've tried to do, um, you know, and I think I'm still learning how to do it. We all are. <laughs> but but you in Scotland have become the kind of go-to guy for any aspiring um, tech sector company, you know, with like Kevin and Callum at Orbital. Mm. I was an early investor there. You did Viz with big Chris van der Keil, yep. Digital Bridges, Fanduel, which we'll come on to. I mean, how have you found the transition from calling the shots to actually mm. having to say, right, I'm not quite sure that's the way we go here, guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it is a transition. It really is. And you've got to know, um, I mean, it certainly was an advantage being a, um, a startup guy you know, and taking a company through to an exit because I'd had, had the experience I had was sort of raising risk capital, managing the relationship with venture capitalists, all these sort of things. I'm um, setting up, an, you know, we, we put our sales office in, in Bellevue, Washington, in, in Seattle. Um, wow. And so building the business internationally, 
um, eventually selling out to a multinational. All of that experience, I thought, well, I've made a lot of mistakes, but I'll, I wouldn't do it again. <laughs> so maybe I can maybe I can help other guys. Because the thing is, when you're starting a business and you're raising a venture capitalist, that's what they do every day of their lives. But it's the first time you will ever do it. Um, and yes. so having somebody at your side who'd been through that before is that that's an advantage. And I'm the startup guy. I, I do the startup stuff. Um, so yeah. I help them get their team together, get their business models straightened out, get the pitch right, all that sort of stuff. I tend to hand over chairmanship after about four or five years. Right. Um, to By that time, you've got people who understand that, that market better than me and they can do it. Yeah. Well, that's very interesting, Ian, because it is... This is this is a, a staged process. So mm. you have worked out, and it's something which we always sit when we're coaching entrepreneurs. What are you good at? And you know, the first answer is well, everything, which is <laughs> never never the right answer. And um, but but you've worked out. You're the startup guy, mm. and then you're handing it off. That's that's an amazing skill to actually say. There's somebody better than me can do the next stage here. So good on you for that. Ian, but I mean, what was the most um, entertaining of all these businesses? <laughs> who, who was the craziest entrepreneur? That, this morning, Willie's calling out people. So let's let's call out the craziest entrepreneur. But with Elon Musk, talked yeah. about him as well. So <laughs> who's the craziest one you've ever mentored along the way? Okay, it's difficult. I mean, you'll, you'll know the answer to this. You're difficult to, to look beyond, Chris. I mean... Chris van der Keil is an amazing, um, he's a one-off. He really is a one-off. In fact, he, yep. I was at a lecture on Wednesday night he was giving at the Royal Society of Edinburgh. And um, I, I was saying to him, you know, you're just so unique because you've uh, never moved out of Dundee. Yep. But you've become a world-class manager of a of global business. You know, I mean, phenomenal. And he's never moved out of Brody Ferry, you know. No, nope. uh, great. Somebody like him should have moved to Silicon Valley. You know, or or somewhere uh, like that along the way, but he didn't. Well, thank goodness he didn't. Ian. And yeah. thank goodness he didn't. And thank goodness there are at least a few of us around who didn't move away. You know, yeah. But most of them do. Um, I'm thinking about it now. <laughs> <laughs> a wee bit late in my life, but I'm definitely thinking yeah. about it. <laughs> don't go, Willie. Don't go. <laughs> but it's all been good fun. Yeah. Um, it really has. I mean, these these young. That's, that's. I mean, I'm now 72, right? So, wow, it keeps me young. Being involved with these young guys, yeah. you know, I, I bet um, you does. Now, now, can you can you tell us now? Willie knows a bit about Fangio, him uh -huh. being a being a poker ace. <laughs> how, how did how did? Well, it's actually Susan, his wife, that's the better poker player. Right. But, <laughs> um, but how did how did Fangio? Because it was a it was an up and down story, wasn't it? Well, it was um, Kevin Dorn. Um, you know, you know Kevin, don't you? Yeah, oh, Kevin's great. Yeah, yeah. So, so Kevin Dorn was the non-exec chairman at FanDuel when they were starting up. And there were just right. five of them, you know. Um, and he, he called me one day and he said, they're raising their first seed fund. Um, do you want to come around and have a chat? Um, so I, I went and see them in an office at Edinburgh University. And um, they told me about their business idea. And I thought it was terrible. <laughs> 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 I thought right. it was absolutely awful. But... Oh what do I know? You know, and um, uh, the team was fantastic. I mean, just fantastic. And Nigel, yeah. the, 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 the CEO, Nigel had done 
um, math, I think, or physics or something at St. Andrews. Um, he'd then gone on to work for uh, Paddy Power or um, Betfair or something, you know, one of these betting companies, um, online yes. betting, and he developed online betting with them. And then he worked for the publishing industry and he ended up with the Scotsman in, in Edinburgh. And when he got to the Scotsman, discovered that they were a dozy bunch. And so he, <laughs> he decided to combine this uh, publishing and betting thing together into a sort of not... Uh, a, a, a currency-less product called Hubdub, which um, you'd use to predict things, right? And you could win and whatever. But you didn't win money, you know? And that was the thing that got me. I thought, well, how's it, how are you going to monetize this? But, you know, this was, what, 2006? Um, people weren't monetizing so much as building. They were building huge collections of audience and then monetizing yeah. them later. That was, I mean, Facebook and stuff, you know, and they've never yep. actually charged for anything, but they've become really, really wealthy in the end, you know. So yes. I thought, well, maybe they know more than I do, but um, the team is so good. I've got to put some money into this. So I I, I put some money in. And, um, right. and then I was also on the board at that time of the investment committee at Pentec. And, uh, yes, indeed, and they uh -huh. pitched to Pentec. And um, Pentec has some really high flyers. I mean, people like Mike Ramsey. Mike Ramsey was the co-founder of TiVo in California. Um, wow. So we had, you know, a pretty heavyweight investment team. Uh, Derek Gray, the vice president for um, marketing for Adobe Worldwide. Um, yeah, so we had a good bunch of people. And they pitched to us. And then as they left the room, we all looked at each other and we said, what a terrible business. <laughs> <laughs> but what a great team. And yeah. so... We actually decided to invest in them as well. So we wow. invested in the team. And then they did have a rocky time because their first idea was a terrible business. Um, and it didn't it didn't work. Um, and they had got, they shipped, and the, the great thing about this, you know this, we all know this, companies start up and, and more often than not they pivot. Um, yeah. You know, that's what we call the pivot. The, the first idea doesn't work, but they discover things that are more likely to work. Yeah. And they change. And and so they had um, a session in, I think, 97 at the, um, what's the thing in Austin, Texas? The, uh, anyway, the, the fancy conference. South and Southwest? <laughs> Southwest, that's right. South and Southwest. And they had, um, they, they found a lot of people who were interested in sports gaming. And they got them into a sort of focus group and they said, right, what, what, would, what would you be excited about as an online product? And they came up with this concept of FanDuel. Um, and it's, it's really a matter of you pick a team, you pick a team, and then there's various algorithms that work out whether this team's going to win or not, and you either win or you don't, right? right. Um, and, and then, so they started that up. And then, of course, the problem they had was in the USA, um, there was a federal law which made online gambling illegal. So federally, you couldn't, you know, do online gambling. Now, that yep. was ignored in Nevada and New Jersey, because they've got their big casinos and stuff. Um, but every, all in the rest of the country were scared of this. So they, you know, so it was obviously a big problem for Nigel to raise funding for this company. And he tells me that he went to about 91 or 92 different venture capitalists before he got one <laughs> that bought wow. in. Wow. And it was, um, it was a, a corporate venture. So it was, a, it was I think, a Comcast, I think, were the first investors. The people with Universal Studios. And yeah, I think they owned ESPN at the time. So they were into sports right, already. Yeah. Um, so that was his first investor. And then over the next you know, few years, um, he managed to attract other investors in. Um, yeah. and, uh, and they built an amazing business. I mean, they went from like 
90 people to 400 people in one year. Would you, yeah. Wow. Yeah, just, I mean, it's unbelievable. We, we should explain to the, to the <laughs> listeners who are interested. And Nigel and the team there believed that they had a technology company. Yeah. And what happened in the States, because of the licensing per states where I think that 38 of them did not allow gambling, yeah. they said, no, you're a gambling site. Oh, yeah. So it started yeah, yeah. off as a fantasy football, well, they, then it became a gambling the argument that Nigel used was this is a, a game of skill. Yes. You know, so it's not gambling, yeah. it's a game of skill. Yeah. Yeah. You put your skill into Correct. the person you choose and all that sort of thing. So it's yeah. not gambling. Yeah. He kept saying that. It's not gambling. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you, you put money down and you win money. That's kind of gambling. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, all the revenues came from gambling. Yeah. But, uh, but I remember at the time because I was involved in, in the poker scene mm -hmm. and obviously DraftKings and Fangio. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. Every time you switch to TV on yeah, in America. Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, I think both of them at one time were... were the biggest month, advertisers. One month, the biggest advertiser on the, the American TV was DraftKings. Yeah. The next month, it was Fangio. Yeah. 20 million oh, a month, I think, absolutely. was running at one time. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, just back it, man. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And they were sponsoring everything. And then they were sponsoring teams. Oh, and absolutely. So, it, 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 I tell you, it'll be, when, when Nigel's finished with all the kind of legal proceedings, <laughs> it'll be a fascinating book. <laughs> well, the book has been written, actually. There's yeah. a book called The Billion Dollar bet or something, billion-dollar gamble, billion-dollar... Yeah. yeah, it's all about DraftKings and, and before um, the, the merger and the exit, yeah. but it's all about DraftKings versus FanDuel. Yeah. It's a really right. entertaining right. read. Yeah. It's worth it's worth, worth, so, worth having a look at that book. Yeah. Ian, can we, can we bring you right up to, to speed? What were, you know, Willie has made this show available to talk about business, encourage business, which isn't done enough in Scotland, in mm. our opinion. Yeah, yeah. So it's, so it's fantastic having you on this morning. But what would you encourage the Scottish government? You've now got a magic wand. Mm. Well, Willie's, Willie and I are giving you a magic wand this morning. And yeah. um, But governments do listen. But they listen to Willie. They don't listen to me. They listen to Willie. <laughs> um, so what would you do to help Scottish businesses? What would you ask of the Scottish government? Yeah. I've got an easy one there. It's a, just plain as the nose in your face as far as I'm concerned, right? Um, I'm chairman of a wee company in Edinburgh called Krotos, and it's audio technology. Um, and the guy who started it is Greek. He's from Athens, and he came to Edinburgh right. to do a master's in audio technology. And um, he started a company, and we build um, audio uh, software, audio, um, that, that is used to make incredible blockbuster sound effects. We turned Idris Elba into Panther for The Lion King. We oh, did right. the special okay. effects um, when the, the uh, dragons are flying through an ice storm in Game of Thrones, you know. We do, <laughs> and we do, blob I mean, this guy, he sold it to all of Hollywood and he sold it to a lot of games companies and things. So we, when you're in the cinema and all this noise is coming at you, more often than not, it's us wow. that made that yeah. noise, right? Now, he's, he has now moved himself back to Athens because the Greek government are keen to get their entrepreneurs back, the ones that have gone off. Yeah. All right. And they've offered him half income tax for seven years. So wow. he's off he's gone. And, um, ah, quite right, yeah. And only on condition, I, I said, that we have a couple of board meetings in Athens, for goodness sake. But anyway, <laughs> so... Now, this is not unusual. The Irish have been doing this for years. Yes. And the New Zealanders do it. The Dutch do it. The big problem in Scotland, and you know this, we all know this, is that everybody is not like Chris van der Kyle. Most people have to leave Scotland to follow a corporate career. 
and they yeah. go to London or they go to Seattle or they go to Boston or whatever and they get married and have kids and they get stuck and they don't really come back and I think a lot of them might want to come back. I think somebody living in Peterborough and commuting into London every day, you know, a school that, and they never see their kids till the weekends. And, you know, they'd quite like to come back to Scotland and be closer to their parents and all these. You know, I think there's a fair a bit about that. And I think we could I agree. offer. I agree, yeah. yeah. I think we could offer them some sort of deal. I mean, it wouldn't have to be, I don't know whether we could have the powers to do half income tax for seven years, but it doesn't matter. We could easily make it, a, we could have 20 bursaries a year for experienced business people in their mid-30s come back to Scotland and run a business here. And that kind of ex management experience that we don't have here. You know, 30 years ago, we had one of the biggest brewers in the world. We had one of the biggest banks in the world. We had Scottish Power. We had, you know, there was all these companies that were the, co the core of the Scottish economy. They've all gone. And we don't have headquarters here anymore. And so people, to get decent management experience, They've got to leave, and then we don't get them back. And what we need more of than anything else is people with management chutzpah and ambition back in Scotland. Well, Ian, last week we, you know, we were on the same theme, and we were saying like, you know, Scotland is of a size, like you know, like Ireland, mm. where we can encourage, you know, the the we can reverse the brain drain. Yeah. And and that yeah. we we you know we talked about enterprise zones, we talked about EIS, and I think that if if the Scottish government want to be different, you know, rather than jumping up and down about the forty five p or the forty p, yeah, yeah. then why don't we introduce, you know, um, if, if we can try and get it devolved, yeah. the capital gains tax, yeah. you know, would be lower income tax for yeah. big, big institutions yeah. that want to come here. Mm -hmm. But the one thing that you're absolutely right about and we've touched on is that if we don't do something, then the next next Chris van der Kels needs, they will follow their dream and they will follow the money. Yeah. Right? They, it will yeah. be difficult for people to yeah. stay in Scotland if we don't actually get that accelerator yeah. back together yeah. where we've got that conveyor belt, you know, that we've mm. tried it. I mean, myself and Tom, you know, we've been involved in all yeah. sorts of things to try to help startups like yeah, yeah. yourself in the tech sector. Yeah. The tech sector at the moment Scotland is, is healthy, mm -hmm. but you're right. What they need is they need to look at the bigger picture and come up with some innovative ideas that are going to attract that talent. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and the big thing we're lacking is management. Yeah. skills and ambition yeah. you know a lot of people are quite happy to do a quite a small company and just make a wee dent and get their yeah. BMW and that's you know, yeah. not enough but, but, it's, but it's absolutely brilliant that you and you're sitting with a panel of experts you look at five young guys pitching to you and think this idea is terrible but they're not <laughs> yes. right? but they're not so let's invest in them so I think Ian it's, it's been a pleasure having you on the show this morning what a story mm. and uh, well, no doubt we'll have you back on Okay, good to see. So, good to be here, Ian. Ian, it's it's great to to reconnect. Let's get a let's get a beer in Edinburgh next time I'm through. Are you are you still living through there? Yes, yeah, yeah. I live in Last Week, I, just on the edge of Edinburgh. So yeah, absolutely great. delighted to to, uh, but, to get get a beer with you, uh, Tom. But I mean, but just just as ever, Scotland's very very proud to have you in. in yeah, it's it's amazing people like you who keep on doing it. The knowledge you've got in your head. Those stories this morning, I, I actually want to go and start a tech business. <laughs> <laughs> Was it really a gambling business? Yeah. <laughs> uh, my idea would be rubbish though, Willie, but anyway. <laughs> a lot of them do still fail, Tom. Yes. <laughs> I know. Brilliant. Ian, thank you so much. Coming next on Hunter and Hockey, the board you can't afford. The Go Radio 
business show with Workflow Solutions, providing secure archive storage to your business. There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk the board you can't afford. This is the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Good morning, Annabelle. Hello. You're through to the Hunter and Hockey Business Show. This is Willie Hockey and my partner is... Tom! <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Annabelle, as I say, welcome. And thank, thank you very you. much for calling in. First, tell us a bit about yourself and then let's have your question. Yeah. Oh, right. Well, um, I'm a business consultant, trainer and coach. And so I work with um, scale up growing companies. Predominantly, my focus at the moment is helping them grow future leaders and build capability from within. So um, that's right. kind of where my question is is coming from, really. Okay. So, so Annabelle, tell me, your, your, your name rings a bell with me. Were you down at our, our place or... Yes. By our place, do you mean the West Coast Accelerator? I do indeed, Annabelle. Yes. Yes, I I am. A, I'm in there. Um, and B, um, I uh, wrote a book recently called... This is going to sound like a shameless plug, isn't it? But I'm going to no, say... No, no, on, 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 on you go. <laughs> Get your P's in a row, five key factors to propel your business forward, which is basically a distillation of my 20 years experience working with businesses in various sectors all over the world, really. And some key principles there. And I bumped into you on the stairs a few times, I have to yes, say. So indeed. Probably yes, indeed. Probably there as well. Right. Well, listen, yeah. it's, it's, it's brilliant to have you on the show this morning. Don't Thank worry you. about um, plugging. That's what Willie's making available to people coming on the show. Yes. Oh, so right. oh, never, never be ashamed of that. Never be ashamed to plug, right. Okay, now, that's good then. what's the question for the gruesome twosome this morning? The question is this. I notice, them, I notice this quite a lot with my clients at the moment. A lot of entrepreneurs struggle with access to talent as they are growing their uh, their, their businesses. Um, and this is coupled with, you know, the great resignation and, and so on, the, the quiet quitting and all of these things that are very much the phrases at the moment. So my question is, what would your advice be for entrepreneurs and business owners who are faced with this talent challenge, especially in these current times? Well, I, I, let me let me tell you my story first on this to answer it. Um, mm. I remember years ago, my wife Susan has been involved in the business from start, but she'd been retired for a few years. And we just had a board meeting and I went back home and I was talking about the next generation. Where do we get the talent from? You know, and, and, and sometimes you don't see that spark in the board. Mm. And it took her to point out to me that although that I'm not someone at meetings that that um, shout at people or I'm, you know, demanding, she says, but there's, there's an air of people that there's a, a respect that, that people were maybe scared to say things, right? She mm, says, yeah. and, and maybe that you exude that, <laughs> that people are actually scared, although that you don't shout at people. So I took that as on board and uh, I got a consultant to interview every one of my directors, right, on a no-names basis. And, and she would feed back to me what people really thought about what was happening in the boardroom. And, you know, where do we go for, you know, how do I spot the next leaders in the group of eight or nine people I had in the boardroom? And that was fascinating, 
what they fed back to me. Fascinating. Like, no, they, they were, you know, they, we were going to say this and going to say that, but we didn't think, we kind of get a steer for Willie that he wouldn't like that, so we didn't want to bring it up. And what I did was, the, after that, I actually stated at a board meeting that that never, ever, if anyone ever says anything, they're going to be chastised, or we're going to say they're wrong, there might be a better idea. And it was amazing, after that, Annabelle, that how people come out their shell. Oh, right, that they felt as if it was, you know, so so for me, that was an eye-opener and it took yeah. Susan to kind of point that out and then obviously using someone like yourself to go and talk to the people and to feed back. What we, and also what I then says is I got the, the consultant to go around again and say, you feed back to me in case I'm missing something, but do you see a spark in any of these people that, mm, that you want yeah. to feed back to me so I can look at that? Yeah. Yeah, Oops. yeah. So, yes, so, Annabelle, one of the things which we um, coach and through the Accelerator, through the scale-up programmes, etc., which the Hunter Foundation support, is as a founder of your business, your number one role is the attraction and retention of the talent. I know you and I agree in this. Yeah. And um, therefore, how does a founder go about it? Well, um, there's a brilliant book um, for MD Interested by Michael Dell, who was the founder of Dell Computers. And right up until the point that Dell were turning over something like $300 million a year, Michael Dell was still personally interviewing every single person at a certain level in his business. He just mm. wouldn't give that up. And I thought at the time, wow, he really understands. Of course he does. He's a multi-billionaire. He really understands that the the power of the founder, first of all, yep. to be out there and always on the look for talent, always on the look for the attraction of talent into their business. And then, as Willie's made a great point this morning, how do you retain that talent once you've got them? So I would... I would say for founders listening today, never underestimate the power you have actually about attracting talent and from you being out there and your actions in the business community. And then once you've got good talent, keep that, keep your two ears open, your one mouth shut (laughs) and um, really listen to the people in your business so that you're managing to retain that talent. What do you think this morning? Annabelle. Yeah, I mean, I would absolutely agree that the the culture is going to be crucial and that culture in any growing business, the culture of the organisation is absolutely determined by the founder, by the people at the top. Um, and it's it's also, I think, as the company grows and you've got other leaders further down your business is also training them and coaching them how to spot talent um, so that it's not just up to the founder to be doing that. Everybody is on the lookout for the future leaders for their business, on people who are showing that spark. And it's not just down to what happens quite often. It's, um, it's almost like fortune favours the extroverts. The people who are louder and putting themselves forward are the ones who tend to take the steps forward. Whereas equally capable people who might be a little bit more reserved, a little bit more reticent, sometimes don't don't get that opportunity. So it's it's spotting other leaders within the business to spot the talent, but also to make sure that there's a bit of an infrastructure. There's um, you, you don't want to over process things, but make sure that there is an infrastructure for capturing that information. Um, there are. Um, 
there, there, there are things in place that will actually nurture that talent, programmes that will nurture that talent, that will engage people in not just in what they're doing within the business, but in where the business is going and where they as an individual can contribute to that ongoing growth. Um, but yes, I, I would agree that it that absolutely starts at the top. Uh, always. Annabelle, sorry, can I say that it's, it's great that you say that you're looking to help people find talent from within. If I can give mm. one tip out there to every entrepreneur running their businesses out there, it's the very first place you should look. And only yeah. when you're absolutely satisfied that you do not have that talent within, then do you look outside. And the reason why I can say it, and I can say it with a bit of certainty, it's one of the places where I have failed miserably to bring, is when I brought outsiders in as part of my senior management team. Mm. Interesting. Wow. Yep. Right. So, um, Annabelle, brilliant question for all our listeners yes. this morning. Please um, keep in touch with us. Let us know how your business is going. Oh, well, indeed. And, and don't ever apologise for plugging your own business. <laughs> <laughs> I won't. Um, no, I'll, I shall plug it a plenty, and I'll probably bump into you on the stairs over at um, Marathon House there at some point soon as well. Indeed, so. Thank you. Indeed, so. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Thanks for calling. All the best. Bye bye. Good luck. Listen to Hunter and Hockey anywhere, anytime, wherever you get your podcasts. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. Helping your business with document management, print, and IT solutions.